Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm Dan Club and I'll be your host this week and I'm joined as ever by Chloe Bloxham and David Comerford. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So we're obviously going to be looking back on Liverpool's qualification to the uh, Champions League quarterfinal stage. We're now into the last eight which is all that matters, I suppose, and which is probably the most positive way of looking at it because we were defeated 1-0 on the night at Anfield, but our 2-0 away win at the San Siro saw us qualify. So in a break from tradition, I'm going to check in with my fellow co-host before we get into the action. Um, I'll start with you, Dave. Um, how are we, first of all? And I've got the burning question for you. Are there more doors or wheels in the world? See, I've actually been having this discussion <laughs> the past couple of days, um, and I, I quite like this uh, change of tradition. But uh, for me, it would have to be Wales. And, you know, the problem with this debate is that you end up getting dragged into, like, semantics and definitions and stuff. But mm-hmm. I th- I think with with Wales, they're kind of... Yeah, a lot of the time, you wouldn't see them. I think they're in, like, a lot of machines... Um, and I think if you if you count a cog as a wheel, which for me you should, mm-hmm. um, then I think wheels would probably take it um, comfortably, to be honest. Okay, comfortable win for wheels there. Um, Chloe, same question to you. How are we? And doors or wheels? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I, I did uh, answer the question wheels on Twitter, um, but I'm going to change it just for the sake of change it and say doors. <laughs> okay, well that's one one. Um, I'm wheels and wheels all day, like you, Dave. They're everywhere, aren't they? Um, so yeah, we and Lego. Lego's the big sway for me. They make a lot of wheels. Um, but yeah, on to less slash more important topics now. Um, I'll come back with you, Dave. Um, your initial sort of thoughts on the game generally, I suppose, that was Liverpool's first home loss for 12 months um, and the first in front of fans for three years, which is something in itself. Um, I'll get your three-word match review, but also, do you think that was a poor performance from us? Home defeats are, like you say, exceedingly rare for Liverpool. Um, so it's, well, they went last season, but like in terms of how um, they, how, how many they've been really over an extended period of time, like um, as you alluded to, three years since the last one, in front of fans. So, you know, it might be assumed that it was just an off day on that basis. Really, I think it's maybe a bit more complicated than that. Uh, Inter, I'd say, have proven themselves to be a very good team. And Mm -hmm. that's not too much of a surprise in that we know they're competing for the title in Italy. But it's like we said um, on a previous episode, Compared to AC Milan, a team who are actually above them, albeit haven't played a game more um, in Serie A, they do look a lot better and they were much more of a match for Liverpool. And I think the thing I was most impressed by was how they were set up out of possession and the way in which that restricted Liverpool, I think, over both legs. Certainly in the first half last night, that was something that stood out. But having said that, I think if you look at the expected goals over the two games. Inter only managed to generate 0.76 over the two matches. Um, You know, yesterday 
the goal that they score was absolutely outrageous. It's probably one of the best goals we've conceded under Klopp, I'd say, um, in terms of an individual effort. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, Matip gave the ball away, but it wasn't really a defensive failing from us, to be honest. Um, and generally, the only chance that they kind of created in the game was the uh, Martinez shot earlier on that Robertson got a slight block on. He didn't really make clean contact on that one, which is obviously a huge contrast to the goal that he scored. Mm. Um, and then from our point of view, we had more than enough chances really to, uh, you know, win the game on the night comfortably and, and win the tie comfortably overall. We obviously hit the post twice um, with Salah. We hit the crossbar with Matip. Uh, Van Dijk was denied by a heroic block. Diaz as well was mm. um, denied by a block. Vidal towards the end. So it could easily look very different. So um, I wouldn't say it was a poor performance. I think the first half an hour of the match was probably the flattest we've looked um, in a while. But on the whole, I think, you know, if you look at the actual chances that we had um, on another night, it, it could have been a different story. And whilst I was expecting probably um, to... And one of the pundits in the studio predicted that we'd get a 2 0 win, um, kind of mirroring the first leg. That's kind of like what I would have anticipated going into the game, and you never want to lose. Um, I don't think it was it was too bad from us. No, I'd agree with that. I think everyone expected a slightly easier night's work. Um, I expected something similar to the Atletico Madrid game in the group stage, whereby they had to come at us, and that should have suited us. Um, but credit should go to Inter, like you alluded to. I thought Inter were really good. Um, and they made life difficult. Before we move on to Chloe, I'll just get your free word match review, Dave. Yeah, so I went with pick your moments um, because obviously, if you are going to have that first uh, home defeat in front yeah. of fans for, for three years, do it in a game where you've earned the right to lose. Yeah, exactly. And I think Klopp said something very similar, didn't he, in the post match? And there's like an art, I think he said, an art to losing games at the right time. And if you're ever going to lose one and still qualify, that was definitely it. Um, Chloe, similar questions to you, really. Your thoughts on the performance overall? Um, I, I tend to agree with Dave in terms of, I don't think it was a particularly poor performance, but for me, most of the credit should go to Inter for that. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought fair play to Inter. I also thought fair play to their fans. I thought their fans mm. were, were really good the entire game as well. So, um, I think from the first leg, we knew that they were a really tough side. They played really well. They were really compact, good off the ball, uh, like David said. Um, and I also think, you know, Liverpool, they couldn't trap a ball in the first 30 minutes. The touches mm. uh, were quite horrific. Um, and it just felt like we never really started... It, like got going in that first half, but um, I think the the way I looked at it was we've played obviously a final 120 minutes. The 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 games that we've had have come thick and fast, and we've managed to maybe scrape through the last couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got where we need to be, and that's really all that matters. Um, I don't really care about the performance as long as the result is there and. Yeah, we, we lost 1-0. It feels very strange to lose at Anfield. Um, and I, I hate it. I absolutely despise it. Um, but uh, like David alluded to, it's it, if there was a game that you could afford to lose 1-0, it was this one. Um, and now you, you bounce on to the next one. 
That's it, yeah. And in, in many senses, it didn't feel like a loss because obviously it's got that caveat of still qualifying through the tie, like we've said. So it wasn't particularly damaging. Um, just before I get your view and massive view as well, Chloe, I'll just, for me, I don't think we reacted particularly well to Inter Milan's um, energy in the opening parts of the game. I thought Inter Milan really brought the game to us. And like you said, Chloe, we didn't. We didn't respond to that particularly well, but I always felt that Inter Milan would run out of gas because obviously they were pressing us, and Alexis Sanchez in particular and Arturo Vidal really pressed us in the first 20 minutes, and I thought, it's okay, they can't do that for 90, but but they did, to be fair, and you know we were half fortunate in the end, I think, to to get through, but yeah, I'll get your favourite match of you anyway, Chloe, before I give mine. Um, mine's on to the next, and yeah. the reason is is because... Um, you've just got to literally focus on each game as it comes once one's over, think about the next, because uh, at this stage of the season, we've got to get the results in mm. pretty much every single game. Um, and they're all coming thick and fast. It's, it feels like you've got no rest and you're also keeping up with the giants in Man City. Um, yeah. So um, forget about this result, focus on the next one and let's, let's go and put a performance in. That'll get us the results. I don't need to see absolutely free flowing football. I just need to see us getting the three points. Yeah, exactly. And like you said earlier, we have been grinding through the last few games and there's an argument to say we're in a slight dip of form, but we are getting the results that are required and that is all that matters. Um, and the next will be Brighton, which we'll be discussing a little bit later on. Um, just to round off the match review section um, before we really dig deep into the game, um, mine would be in the hat, which is kind of... Uh, a summary of what you guys have both said because at the end of the day we are in the next round of the Champions League um, yeah so moving on to the game in a bit more detail then um, Dave I'll come to you on this one one of the major talking points was pretty much immediately after Inter Milan's score and the tension rises um, we get a little bit of light relief I suppose um, because Alexis Sanchez um, sees red um, for a second yellow card um, what were your thoughts, I suppose, on on both challenges? Um, and do you think it was right that he was dismissed? Well, I actually missed this um, during the game. I saw the first half, I missed, I missed the one in the second half leading to the second yellow. So I've, I've only watched it this morning. Um, and I think with the second one, the issue is that, you know, you, you can see Sanchez takes a look at Fabinho and he knows he's coming. And he knows it's basically going to be a 50-50 between them um, for who's going to win it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he essentially lunges in uh, with what you'd probably say is excessive force. Um, and even though he does get to the ball first, the momentum that he has is kind of always going to carry him into Fabinho at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think probably not the wisest tackle to make Um in the first place and uh, the right decision to give him a yellow card for it uh, in that case. The one in the first half, I was looking at it, you see the replay and his studs are as high as Thiago's knee mm. and then he scrapes down his leg and it's, you look at it and you think that's got to be a red card in, in and of itself. It's like, how can you plant your your foot that high on someone's leg and, <laughs> and not be sent off? But I think the reason he gets away with the straight red for that is because you know, it was it was reckless, I think, you know, the height of the challenge, but there wasn't too much force. And thank God there wasn't because, you know, 
if he was that high up and he connected with Forrest, then who knows what you know kind of um, injury we might have been looking at. Um, so I think that one was a yellow too. So I think two two yellow cards, to be honest. The first challenge was worse um, than the second one. But honestly, I think according to the uh, the rule book, and uh, one thing, um, Chris Williams, who obviously we've had on the podcast before, mm-hmm. has, has you know been talking about on Twitter um, since the game has been the fact that intent doesn't matter anymore. I think that's probably a point that's worth kind of you know stressing really. And yeah, according to the rule book, I think it was uh, the right decision to give him two yellow cards, and obviously that was a uh, decisive moment in the tie. Yeah, it was because, like I say, I think. Um... The momentum was certainly with in some of at that moment. And then to lose a player seconds after it must have been deflating for them. Um, and it kind of coincided with our substitutes as well, which changed the game in themselves. Um, just to give my verdict on it before we get yours, Chloe. Um, for me, it, it, it's a red card um, combined. For me, the first one is arguably still a red card because Dave's right, there wasn't a lot of force, but you go into someone's knee with your studs up I think that's problematic to begin with um especially when Tiago he seems to have like his entire leg on show which might make the whole thing look worse because you see everything you see the cut immediately and for me active in the ref he wouldn't admit this um and referees would never admit such a thing but I think he might realize after the fact of the first half one that it was a bit stronger than the yellow card so he's, he's nigh on waiting Alexis Sanchez to do anything um, for an opportunity to send him off, which is wrong potentially, but then Alexis Sanchez dives into another tackle and he's got to go at that point. So a fair decision, all in all. Um, Chloe, would you agree? Do you think it was harsh? Do you think it was fair? Um, To be honest, I haven't seen either of them back. I've saw stills of uh, a half-time. Obviously, everyone was going on about the the first half-tackle, which doesn't look great at a standstill. Um, and in the stand for the second one, it just looked like he was going at a pace where um, he like it was excessive force. That is why the entire, you know, that's why I screamed anyway for, you know, a second yellow. Um, because at the speed that happened, you thought to yourself, oh, God, that's not a good tackle at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even see that he'd won the ball, but if he has, then fair enough. But... Um, I think the first one's borderline red, pretty much. Um, you just can't do that kind of tackle. And the second one's excessive force. But I reckon I'd be fuming if my player won the ball and then and then got a second yellow for that. But uh, saying that, I thought Sanchez had several throughout the game where he'd niggled at players and um, he brought people down and got away with it. Um, and then, obviously, when he, when you're on a yellow and you're at Anfield and you're mm. going to go into a tackle with that much pace, be expected for the crowd to get on that referee's back. And uh, what I hated most about the situation was I thought when United get fouls or get something against them and players crowd the referee, that it's absolutely outrageous. Inter Milan took that to a whole new yeah. um, dimension. There was not a... I think... The only player that was not around that referee was the, the goalkeeper. Even the entire staff members were all over the gaff as well. Mm. So, um, for me, yeah, a, a red when you put the them both together, but also the fact that um, he'd niggled at players before in the match, which obviously just builds up. Um, and when you've got Anfield crowd on you, you're lucky to get away with it when you're going in with that much force. 
Yeah, that's it. And ironically, the one player, like you say, who wasn't around the referee, um, Handamovic, I think, uh, is the captain, um, who wasn't interested enough to run all that distance to get involved. Um, and Inter Milan actually lost, I think, one of the assistant coaches. He was sent to the stand as well in the melee. Um, but yeah, I think all in all, I wasn't particularly enamoured with the referee's performance, but I think he got that pretty much right. But then we probably would say that. Um, so moving on then, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold um, has got a lot of praise this morning um, following his performance last night and actually following recent performances, which I would say have been more defensive minded, actually, considering what we're used to seeing from him. So I'll stay with you, Chloe. Um, how pleased were you with Trent last night? And generally speaking over this game and the West Ham game, how pleased have you been with him defensively recently? Yeah, um, he's been very good. I think there was at times where um, in a foot race you thought he was about to lose out. Uh, the ball's gone over his head and he's just used his body. And um, a Trent, Trent a couple of years ago, we thought maybe, you know, could be shrugged off a ball. He didn't look physically unbelievable. And that was because he was a kid. He still is a kid now. Um but he looks like he's filled out and he was shrugging people off the ball. I think he puts Alexis Sanchez on the floor, literally just by shrugging him. Um, defensively awareness as well. The positions um, he was in was really good. Um, he stopped attacks. Um, going forward, there was, there was, you know, sometimes he lost the ball um, doing crossfield passes and stuff. But uh, defensively, I, I thought he was really good. His positioning was really good. Um and Perisic, who I thought, you know, really good player. Um, I thought he he showed that over the two legs. Um, he kept getting the ball nicked off him by Trent when he'd go down the byline. And I think it's uh, is it Salah's second one where he hits the post, maybe. Um, Trent wins the ball off Perisic and then passes it inside to Salah. Um, and we go away on the break, and that's that's what he's good at in that position when he won the ball. His first instinct is to pass it forward and not to just, you know, recycle the play and get us out of it. Um, he chooses to go forward and that's what puts us on the attack. So um, it's also his transition and when he, when he wins the ball deep, um, he has the vision, he has the technique to be able to pick out a pass that's maybe a bit riskier, but if it pays off, then you're on the break. Yeah, that is obviously one of his biggest qualities. We've all seen his attacking prowess, haven't we, over the past few years? And you're right to mention, you know, not so long ago, there were question marks over his defensive ability, even from a Liverpool standpoint, because I think we all remember Joe Gomez being sort of the preferred option occasionally at right back, um, particularly at Old Trafford, I seem to remember. So I suppose we sort of fed in to that narrative that still exists about Trent's defending. Um, but I thought he was outstanding last night against a very difficult operator in Perisic. Um, and obviously, you know, we go back to the goal line clearance against West Ham on the weekend. He's had a, he's had a good little period um, in terms of his defensive play, which is good to see. Um, I'll come to you, Dave. You can obviously talk about Trent's past couple of games and last night in particular, um, about how good he's been defensively. But on the sort of he can't defend story, how do you see that? And do you believe there is some truth in it? And if so, what are his strengths and what are his weaknesses, would you say? Yeah, well, I think Chloe's covered really last night. Um, don't really have much more to add. It was obviously pretty much a rock-solid performance from him. Mm-hmm. Um, man of the match contender, with, without doubt. 
I think it's an interesting question. Um, you know, just the general idea about Trent's defending and the narrative that exists. And clearly the narrative is overly simplistic and it's a way for, you know, his critics to kind of beat him down. And it's just an unfortunate reality um, kind of in this probably social media age of football that we can't, if a player doesn't play for our team, it seems like we can't accept that they're just a great player, that we have to find a weakness that they have and constantly sort of, you know, badger on about it, to be honest. But, you know, let's face it, like there are right backs out there who are better at defending than Trent. Um, I think that's fair to say. You know, his the fact that he's the best right back in the world comes from his abilities going forward. Um, you know, the best player in that position, certainly. I think for me, there's a few, you know, ways you can add kind of a bit a nuance to this. Um, so if we talk about kind of the one v one side of it, mm-hmm. I often think that if there's a winger who is kind of a specialist when it comes to one v one situations that it can sort of be a 50-50 battle over the, you know, the course of the game, you know, Trent will win a few of the battles, but the winger will get past him a few times as well. Um, and, you know, that's something that we've kind of seen in the past and maybe that's what people can kind of look at and and question them, um, really. But, you know, I'd also say... On the other hand, and it's an important point to stress, a lot of the time, Trent isn't defending. It's not so much that he he can't, it's that the positions he's in and he's in in the pitch. You know, sometimes the ball will be with the centre-backs and he'll be in the, the other team's half. He'll be almost playing like a right midfielder in a 4-4-2 um, in terms of his position. And then, you know, you'll see a lot of situations where the ball gets turned over and he just kind of isn't there because of how high up the pitch he is. And that's just that's just a system, really. Um and, you know, it's obviously a lot more difficult for him to make the the impact defensively when he's kind of running back to the situation and um, it's kind of developing like that. And, you know, staying on the system, I think it's also worth stressing that Liverpool, Liverpool's defenders, you know, the job for them is almost harder than it would be for any other side. And it's because of this high line. So, you know, it's much easier for a defender to defend when they can see everything that's in front of them. But in our system, it's almost like, you have to let them kind of run in behind you in a way in the conference that your line's going to be solid enough um, and you've got the recovery pace if needed to to catch them out. Um, so it's an extremely difficult system to to defend in, really. Um, and I think that's why, you know, the centre-backs deserve an awful, awful lot of credits as well. Um, and the last thing I'd say on this is that Robertson is better defensively than Trent, I'd say. I think most Liverpool fans would agree on that. And the consequence of that is that a lot of the time when opposition sides try and spot something like a weakness in this Liverpool team, it will be down Trent's side. Uh, So they will focus a lot of their attacks down there. So that makes it more difficult for them. And we see as well things like him getting overloaded at the back post, maybe not getting the cover he needs occasionally from... um, the kind of player who's in the right centre midfield slot. So there's a lot of factors at play here. But I think, you know, the key thing is, I mean, it's hard to think of too many sort of examples 
off the top of my head, you know, I'd have to look into it a bit. But I think not only the past couple of games, but kind of generally this season and, you know, certainly the recent past this season, we have seen an improvement. And, you know, Chloe mentioned it there, like he is still really young. He's, I think, still going to improve defensively. Um, and I think we are seeing that already. And he's making a lot of crucial defensive interventions. And I think he wants to as well uh, prove that that is a side of his game where he feels he's strong because he, he'll be aware of the criticism. Yeah, he will be. And I think we have seen a marked improvement this season. I think for me, my overriding thought on sort of Trent's weaknesses, if you could call them that defensively, particularly this year, are simply like you say, are simply down to positioning. Because I think opposition sides target his area of the field because he's so often not there. Like how often is he running back? And trying to deal with a situation that's already kind of evolving, because like you say, he's been he's so high up the field, um, it's ridiculous. More so than Robertson for me by far, and also Robertson's got Virgil Van Dijk on his side, which helps because we all know how good he is. And listen, Joel Matip or Canate, whoever's on the right hand side, is obviously a very high operator. But Virgil Van Dijk's levels above that again, so Robertson's got a better insurance policy as well. Um, but yeah, for me. I don't really see them as weaknesses because if Trent's in a situation to deal with something like we've seen over the past couple of games, he's more than capable of dealing. The issues come whereby we lose the ball in transition and then he's caught way out of position. And then all of a sudden it looks really bad. And that's where his critics target and say, look at him. He's not even there. He's he's chasing back desperately. But that just is almost like it comes from being so aggressive and it comes from being so influential. And it comes from the way Klopp wants him to play. So we can't really blame him. Um, but we will move on, unless you've got anything burning to say on that, Chloe, or you're quite happy. No, I was just going to say, if you watched um, that, the Rio Ferdinand did a thing with Jordan Henderson uh, the other day came out. And if you watch it, he talks about Trent and the positioning. And mm. it's almost like Jordan Henderson becomes the right back because Trent goes past them. Um, yeah. And Jordan Henderson then becomes the right back. So, it's kind of like, oh, not just, you know, do people um, moan about Trent when it's one-on-one situations or whatever. It's also the ca- the case of, oh, someone's had to cover for you, yeah. But mm. in actual fact, it's because the role that Jordan Henderson plays or that right centre midfielder plays, it's almost like cover. Um, because let's be honest, Trent is possibly... Um, the biggest influence on this football team going forward. He is he's the one that's got uh, 16 assists this season and can put a ball pinpoint on someone's head. That's just who it is. Um, and if you look at Man City, they do the same. They have their right backs come in as kind of like the centre mid, if you if you get what I mean. They it's so narrow in what they do. Mm. And Liverpool now do that. Um and Jordan Henderson becomes the the right back cover. Um, and I think loads of people moan at the fact that someone else is having to do that job and cover for them, when in actual fact, that's just the way it's set up. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, can yeah. I just say, yeah, can I course. just say quickly on that, Dan, um, Klopp was obviously asked about it before the game, um, and he said, essentially, if Trent, if he wasn't happy with Trent defensively, he wouldn't be playing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, just picking up on, on what Chloe said, really, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing within the system and he's supposed to be that advanced and Klopp accepts that you might have to take a little bit of defensive pain down your left-hand side 
because it will unlock Trent to attack kind of with that freedom when he goes forward. So I think he is more than happy with with Trent's contribution. And it's a system really that is full of, of risks, um, risks that pay off most of the time. Um, and I think, like I say, if Trent can kind of start to win those kind of 1v1 duels more often than not and kind of improve when he is having to do the defensive work, which we are already seeing signs of, mm-hmm. then I think it'll be perfect, really. Yeah, 100%. Um, couldn't agree more. And the City point's a really valid one because, you know, Kyle Walker probably gets caught out in a similar fashion quite a lot. We've seen him get into a lot of trouble this season. I think he gives away that penalty against Southampton, doesn't he? Um, and I think he got sent off, but then he got rescinded. Um, but it's just it's purely down to pace for him. He gets himself in all sorts of trouble, but he has the recovery pace, so people don't talk about it as much. Um, but in terms of defensive acumen, I think Trent is more than capable of operating in this Liverpool side. Um, moving on to somebody ahead of him, I suppose, quite literally, um, positionally, is Mohamed Salah. Um, there's been quite a fair amount of discussion about Salah <clears throat> and his last couple of performances. Um, I'll come back to you, Chloe, on this. What do you make of, I'm loathe to call it criticism, but people questioning Salah's form in the past couple of weeks. Do you think this is a dip? Do you think he's struggling a little bit? Or do you put it down to something else? I wouldn't say struggling, because if he was struggling, then he wouldn't be getting in the positions. Um he should have had two goals. It's just that simple. Uh, in my eyes, he's missed two sitters. And uh, that can happen. It can happen to any footballer. Um, his, his play was actually really good to even be in those situations, uh, to break the line, to constantly be running. Um, he had he had a couple of unbelievable runs down down the, the well, the right-hand side, but the left-hand side for the cop. Um, and I think there's one where... He dinks it over one, he dinks it over the second, the bastone just wipes him out, just yeah. completely kicks him because he's got past them both. Um, I don't know whether I'd say a dip in form. I still think he's influential. But if you actually watched last night's game, there was about three people around him at every opportunity they could get. Um, I remember someone in the copy army saying, my God, he's got three men around him again. Um, and it was like every time he got the ball, there was always people at least two into Milan players surrounding him. Um, and that, you know, in theory, it should have freed up the other side of the pitch. Yeah. But I don't think Manny was brilliant either, let's be honest. Um, I was crying out for Luis Diaz come 50, 60 minutes, really. Um, I don't think Jota was perfect up top either, I thought. I don't even think he's fit at this moment in time. Um, so I think it was just an off night for the th- front three. I think Salah's... Um, still getting in the positions I need to, still doing the stuff that I need to, he's still silky. Um, he's a, he, he had moments of like, wow, that's my that's my salad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the end product wasn't there, and that's that that is surprising. But uh, like he said in in the post match um, interview, he said maybe I score three next game, and and that's just true. But the opportunities, if he gets the same opportunities next week, you expect him to bury them. Um, and it, it's a case of okay, we hit the bar three times. It, well, we hit the budwork three times. Into Milan score the screamer, um, and then you know there's not really it. We were just a bit out of luck, um, in the sense. So I don't necessarily. I, I think when we say dip a form, you set such unbelievably high standards that 
to a lot of players, this probably isn't a dip of form, but to him it is because of the way he's been playing. Um, but I don't think it's that. I, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's um, worrying. He's still getting in the positions. He still should have had two goals last night. Uh, but the post did obviously um, save into Milan. So, um, yeah, nothing to worry about. He's, he's not he's not scored, but um, he should have. Yeah, he definitely should have. And I'm, I'm really glad you had that, that view on it because I was similar, actually. Um, I was actually quite impressed with him last night. I thought he was the pick of the front three, to be honest, to sort of go further on your Jota and Mane point. Um, I thought he carried the ball really well and he was a massive threat every time he got it. He beat people quite often. You obviously referenced the Bastoni one towards the end, which was just a remarkable piece of skill, to be honest with you. And Bastoni just had to bring it down. He had no answer and he, he was quite accepting of the yellow card. So, yeah, I thought Salah was good last night. Um, I think the conversation stems from he had a quiet game in the final Obviously, he misses that chance against West Ham and then arguably should score both last night. Although, for me, the right-footed volley, so the second one on the half volley, was was quite unfortunate. Considering that's his weaker foot, he gets good contact and that either flies in or it hits the post for me. Um, I'll come to you, though, Dave. Um, I was quite impressed with Salah. Chloe was quite impressed with Salah. Where do you stand on it? So, to start with the, the missed chances, the first one, I think one of those instances where a player hits the post but you can't really call them unlucky I think it's a sitter to be honest the first one um, and he should just bury it the second one I'm with you Dan I think it, it is unlucky I think he does pretty much everything right it's one of them where you know it would only be the tiniest adjustment and it's the perfect finish really um, I think he took the the ball from from Mane which by the way was a, a brilliant pass yeah, it was. I think he I think he took it um Superbly, really, and he, he wasn't looking not to get the goal, and and that's the thing, really. It's that if that goes in, if that's a you know an inch further to further to the right, then you know we're probably having a different conversation, and we might even be talking about him as like a man of the match contender or or whatever. Um, and there's no real questions maybe about form, but I think that do kind of have to be, and it's only because, and then Chloe alluded to this of the standards he's he's sort of set up to this point. I mean, if you look at it since he got back from AFCON, mm. um, he's only scored two goals from open play in eight appearances. And, you know, that's not dreadful. And, you know, technically it is still four goals and he was amazing in that Leeds game. So, you know, there is context really behind those numbers. That's quite important. But it is a, a kind of a marked kind of slowing down, um, I suppose. And he has... Uh, being missing opportunities, um, I think one I kind of saw it differently to you, to you two really in terms of these situations where he's getting triple teamed, and uh, obviously Chloe picked up on that. But for me, it's like if you've got three men around you, we know he's someone who can basically dance through a defense on his own. But it's about choosing the yeah. right moments. Uh, I mean, maybe there isn't the right moments to do that. Maybe it is just going to always be. A piece of inspiration but I was kind of frustrated myself that he was maybe trying to do too much and I think he did that against West Ham as well um and I'm thinking you know if he if he's got three men on him and if he can move the ball quickly into a different area then that could be basically killer because that is a lot of defenders to commit uh to one man so I think the thing is um and I know Chloe wants to say something else on this but the thing the thing for me is that 
he's played an incredible amount of football. Like, you know, Touchwood, he never gets injured. He plays pretty much every game. He only got sort of 60 minutes of rest after AFCON when he played extra time about three or four times, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 120 minutes in the League Cup final as well. So I think that's potentially a factor. Um, and, you know, I had that quote down as well um, that Chloe mentioned where it's like, it is Mo Salah, like he could easily go and score three at the weekend. But yeah, I think I would say it's a dip, but, you know, that's got to be put in context of the incredible levels, the kind of historic levels really we were seeing up to this point. And I think it is only a slight dip as well. Yeah, yeah, I'll come to you now, Chloe. Um, just to say that I think watch out Brighton with what Salah said, obviously. Um, and also, just for me, my final point on it, really, before I let Chloe finish. Um, I, I think we have to credit the opposition in the past few weeks. I think it just so happens that I think Antonio Rudiger played against Salah really well in the final. So I think don't think Salah had much joy there. I think West Ham, like we've already said, you know, three men on him. Maybe Salah could have released the ball earlier to set us away. But West Ham put three men on him. They defend him well. And Inter Milan did similar last night. So sometimes you just have to say, you know, they've done a job on him potentially. Um, maybe he has to learn that that's how teams are going to be now against him. Um, and maybe, like I say, to give the ball earlier or maybe just beat them all and then score himself. But yeah, I'll let you come in, Chloe, anyway. Yeah, I was just going to say that... Um... The the not this well it can have effect on Salah, but the pitch at Anfield is absolutely shocking. I have not seen a Premier League pitch look that bad, um, and it's looked that bad for about three or four weeks now. It is being awful, um. So I wonder what it's like to play on. I mean, I'm not seeing many people, you know, be you know the legs go from them because of the slippiness or anything, but. Um, the pitch, especially in and around the area, um, in and around the box, it looks absolutely shocking, cop end. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know what's gone on there, but um, if that has any effect on anything, um, well, it's it's already not good enough because the the pitch is absolutely shocking. So if that does have an effect on our front three, we kind of need to get that sorted. Um, because I, it just it looks. Um, it, it just looks like a Sunday league pitch at times like mm. maybe not to the depth of you know you're literally in slosh but <laughs> um, like there's just no green grass in and around the, the edge of the box um, it's mm. all just mud it's it's dug up um, and I wonder what that does if a ball gets fizzed into it is it bobbling about is that why no one could get a first touch um, under the, the, the belt yesterday but um, I feel like that needs to be said because for weeks I've looked at this pitch and it looks awful. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a couple of moments last night. I think there's a couple of sort of our passing um, situations whereby for that ball isn't running particularly smoothly. And Thiago actually either loses the ball or he misplaces the pass or his touches off. Something happens and he, he ends up on the floor despite not really being a man around him. And he looks back at the pitch in sort of disgust. And I thought, there's definitely something wrong here. Um, and I just put it down to the sheer amount of football that's been played on it in recent weeks. Um, and I know, obviously, we're away on the weekend with Brighton. I think I'm right in saying we'll be away again, obviously, the next game, um, Forest. So, 
couple of away games to give that pitch a break and let the grounds do some work might be really important. Um, but it's definitely a valid point. I know we want to talk about Salah in terms of his continued selection, but I'm going to leave that until we talk about Brighton a little bit later because obviously he will come up. Um, just before we finish on last night's game, um, I just want to get a couple of honourable mentions from you both. It hasn't really been a game to talk about standout individual performances. I think we all agree Trent was probably man of the match, but outside of him, have we got anyone from you, Dave? Only one I'd say uh, is Thiago, personally. Um, I saw a couple of people on Twitter, um, you know, question his performance, say that maybe he's a bit sloppy. I, again, didn't see it that way. Uh, I thought that we saw kind of that calmness in possession that we weren't really seeing from most of our players, especially in the first half. Um, a couple of brilliant slides and tackles as well, which is refreshing to see because we're obviously used to seeing him um, maybe commit fouls when he did that earlier in his Liverpool career. And also, um, I mentioned for that pass uh, through to Jota, mm. um, where he sort of pokes it through to him, um, and it leads to the the first time Salah hits the post. Um, I think, you know, if that leads to a goal, we maybe talk about it a lot more. Um, I thought it was a, a absolutely, you know, sublime touch uh, from him. So, yeah, he'd be, I think, the only one other than Trent for me. Yeah, that's fair. And Chloe, anyone from you? Um. Curtis Jones, I actually thought, when I was watching him, I thought to myself, he needs to get off because we need Jordan Henderson. And I knew the other two wouldn't come off. Um, but when I was watching him, I actually thought he was playing decent. I think he had the, the highest passing accuracy um, out of the Reds. Um, but he also was the only one who actually ran with the ball and got us up the pitch. Um, I think he wins the foul for... Uh, Trent's free kick in the first half just before half time but yeah. he was the lad for me that when he got on the ball he like he drives past two three players and then got one us a foul um, and I saw loads of people giving some stick and I didn't think he was that bad to be fair to him um, and the other honourable mention would literally just be one sole moment and it was Virgil van Dijk's outside the foot pass to Robertson and beyond that is one of the best passes yeah, I have ever seen on a football pitch um, it was because he was getting pressed. You thought to yourself, "Oh my god, like what is he doing? He needs to get rid of this ball, like just hoof it, lad." And then he delivers something that absolutely no one in that ground thought was possible. Um, it was sensational. Yeah, it was, and we should have scored from the resulting break. Obviously, I think Robertson has four men to pick out, and he just so happened to pick out the one man wearing an Inter Milan kit. But it's kind of a veiled criticism, Robbo, I suppose. It was a decent ball in. It was half unfortunate that that's how we found. Um, I think, yeah, both both good mentions there. Um, for me, I think Van Dijk and Robertson, funnily enough, would be my other two. I thought they were both pretty assured throughout the night. Um, but without having time to go into detail as to why, Roberto Firmino would be another one for me. I know he didn't play. I know he wasn't on the bench, but I thought we really missed him. Um, I think he actually came out of that game in my eyes, really well in a bizarre way because that was a night for him. And I think that just showed me that we still really need him as well. Um, and I know we probably want to discuss that further, but we're not going to. We're going to move on. Um, and we're going to move on to the Champions League more generally because obviously we qualified last night. Bayern Munich just about scraped through, I think, 8-2 and aggregate last night. So that was quite fortunate for them. Um and the last eight more generally, I think City obviously played tonight. 
they're 5-0 up, so we can safely assume they're through. Chelsea are also effectively through. They beat Lille 2-0, and their second leg is upcoming. Um, and then Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid is also tonight, and that's finely, delicately poised um, at 1-0 PSG. So, guys, um, I'll come back to you, Chloe. Um, who who do you most and least want to play out of the remaining team? And you can mention, I think Ajax play Benfica and Villarreal play Juventus in the other ties. You can mention them if you want. And obviously, Atletico Madrid against Manchester United as well. So, give me a sort of a rough order as who you fancy and who you don't. Um, I, I don't want any of the Premier League sides. They're all no. at the very bottom, joint bottom. Um, I don't want Chelsea. I do not want City. Um, United, I'd be more like, OK, uh, but I'd feel like they'd be added pressure because it's United. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't want them. Me, me too, that I'd like. Uh, either Ajax or Benfica. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind Benfica. Uh, you know, they wear red. They've got a nice stadium. Fair enough. Um, Ajax, obviously Amsterdam, it's it's they they're awake, it's sensational as well. Some good football played there. Um and the other team I wouldn't mind is uh, Villarreal or Juventus. I don't think um I'd probably rather Villarreal than Juventus, but I don't think Juventus is that good anymore. I don't think they're this giant that uh, everyone should be looking at. But um we obviously have signed that that new striker which his mm. name I will butcher, so I will not say. Um, so, you know, they, they've got some star quality. But if we avoid the Premier League teams and they somehow get each other, I'll be absolutely made up. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, Juventus have turned the corner since they signed Dusan Vlahovic. Um, just to butcher it for you. Um, but yeah, I think, you, I think you're pretty much spot on. For me, the ideal would probably Ajax, I'd say. Um, although our record against Portuguese sides is brilliant, so Benfica wouldn't be bad either. Darwin Nunes would scare me um, there. Um, and Villarreal, I think we'd have too much of Villarreal. Um, and avoid all the Premier League clubs. Uh, Dave, have you got any guilt edge feelings on who you'd like, who you wouldn't like? Yeah, so I've kind of thought about it in terms of the teams I actually think can contend. Um, so Bayern, Chelsea, City... And then PSG and Real. I think Real are probably just about in with the shout as well. Um, I'd be most confident going up against Real of that bunch, you know, if they were to turn it round against mm. PSG. I know they obviously knocked us out last season, but we were aware of kind of the injuries that we had in that game. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, obviously they've got this amazing midfield, but uh, I think we are probably better than them. So hopefully we could edge that over over two legs. Um and yeah, um, Karim Benton as well, obviously one of the best uh, players in Europe. But you know he's still back Liverpool. Yeah, and then PSG. You know a lot's been made of what's been going on with them this season, where you know it's maybe not uh, the team isn't really the sum of its parts. Um, but just look at that Mbappe moment um, mm-hmm. in the first leg, and you realise that they've got players who can win matches in moments. Um, sometimes it comes down to that in a Champions League tie. Then I'd say Bayern. I'd say Bayern. Um, I'd rather play Bayern than Chelsea um, because obviously you know you don't want to. I think there's just an aversion to playing teams from your own country in the Champions League, to be honest. But mm. also, I think that you know I kind of uh, fancy Tuchel to make it really 
closely fought when he when he goes up against Klopp. We saw that in the League Cup final. We've seen that in previous meetings this season. Um, I kind of wouldn't want a repeat of of what we saw at Wembley over two legs, to be honest. Uh, Bayern, I think, um, obviously have a brilliant coach and amazing array of attacking players. Um, but I do think they're vulnerable defensively, and that might be the thing that kind of decides it when they go up against, um, you know, City, Chelsea, um, ourselves, or, or PSG. And yeah, the obviously the one I'd least like to face is um, is City, not just because I think that um, they're potentially the best team in Europe. You know, it's probably between us or them. Uh, I also would absolutely dread the thought of them knocking us out. To be honest. And I wouldn't trust the teams that remain in the competition to uh, to deny them the Champions League. So that would be my order of preference. And hopefully, you know, we do get, I think, you know, the best outcome would probably be the winner of the uh, Ajax-Benfica tie, although Ajax do seem to be um, slightly unreal this season. Yeah, yeah, but you'd have to fancy our chances, like you say there. We are, you know, one of, if not the best team in Europe. So for me, like you say, Aside from aside from City, I think we'd probably take most teams, but there are definitely sort of preferences amongst it. And I think the draw is next Friday, I'm right in saying. Um, so we'll find out then. Um, it'll probably take two hours, and Andre Arshavin will probably get it all wrong. We'll have to do it all again. <laughs> but it will happen at some point next Friday. Um, but before then, Liverpool are back in Premier League action, and we go to Brighton. Um, difficult place to go. Um, half twelve kickoff on Saturday. Um, long way away. I've been myself before. It's a long drive for Liverpool. That, um, but yeah, we'll move on to it. And I'll stay with you, Dave. What are your impressions of Brighton? Um, they've kind of made life difficult for us. Obviously, we drew with them earlier this season, two-two. Um, we ended up getting beat there last season at late penalty, I believe. Danny Welbeck, Andy Robertson situation. So. Yeah, what are your thoughts on them, especially when they play us? They seem to step it up, don't they? That was a draw last season, wasn't it? Yeah, one one sorry. scored, yeah. yeah. Um, but you're right, they do make it difficult. You know, the first, um, I think, six games we played against Brighton after they came up to the Premier League for the first time, um, we won all of them. And then there was the uh, the games last season, obviously, um, the draw um, at the Amex, and then they beat us. Yeah. Anfield, um, so yeah, it has been a lot more difficult on against Parsa than it was under under Hooton, um, for sure. But uh, you know, obviously they're in a bit of a tricky patch at the moment. They've lost four games in a row. The only teams they've beaten are relegation contenders, Everton, and Watford, <laughs> um, away from home both times. Um, I think they've got quite a poor record at, at the Amex actually, but. Uh, yeah, they've fallen down to 13th in the league now. And I don't know about you, but I was kind of surprised when I saw that. It seems like they've been in the top half pretty much since the first day of the season. So um, clearly have it a bit of a tricky patch. But yeah, the manager's amazing for me. Um, I honestly think that he's, he's devised a system that allows Brighton and their, you know, meagre resources, both in terms of players and and finances to kind of outplay and compete with some of the best teams in the league, um, which is a huge, huge achievement, really. And credit to the whole club's model as well, not just um, not just the manager, but I think he is someone who's good enough to go straight into a, a top four side for me, like um, 
or side who's got ambitions of finishing the top four. You know, say if Conte was to leave Tottenham, I think Potter mm. should absolutely be the uh, the first choice. Um, and it's weird you see him linked with you know when Everton sacked Benitez, for example, you see him linked with that job, and you think, no, I, for me, he doesn't need to take that step to a, a mid-table club who've got a bigger stature than Brighton. I think he can go, you know, he can make the leap straight away for me. And I think that's partly because he has a style of play that is compatible really with what fans of top teams want to see um, and would expect to see. Um, and yeah, I think, I hope, hopefully he doesn't end up getting the City job um, when, when Guardiola leaves. I think he could well be the first English manager uh, to win the Premier League. Um, that's how highly I rate him really. But yeah, the weird thing with Brighton, just to finish, is, you know, from what I read about him, there's actually a bit of discontent at the club. Like, obviously, we remember earlier in the season, they booed they booed yes. them after a game. I think they lost maybe against Wolves. Um, or it might have been a draw, because I remember Potter looking uh, really confused uh, by the response. And you look at it, they only fill their stadium for, for big, big home games against, like, the top teams. Other than that, there's quite a lot of empty seats. Um and yeah, generally the mood doesn't seem to be great, even though it's their shaping up to be their best season in the Premier League. And I, it's weird they don't seem to appreciate the quality of manager and football that they play because that's as good as it gets, really, mm-hmm. with the resources that they have. So I think, yeah, a bit of a a bit of a strange fan base from from what I've seen, uh, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I think my my main impression of them is that they've got, you know, and and really really impressive up and coming manager and someone who knows, I think, how um to hurt this Liverpool side. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I agree with you on the fan base point because I also agree with you about Potter. I've been really impressed by him. Um but it's like what do Brighton expect? What do they what do they think they are? Like when they were sort of, in my opinion, punching above the weight early this season and people were talking about them in terms of, you know, European adventures perhaps next year. Um more Europa League, Europa Conference League. That would have been an outstanding achievement for them. So to sort of boo a home draw, I don't know. Like that's sort of like um, ideas above the station sort of territory for me because this is Brighton, and you said there they've been 13th now. That's about right for Brighton. Like if you'd have told me Brighton finished 13th for the start of the season, I'd be gone. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, and you're right in terms of their form has kind of fell off a cliff as well, and I wonder. I often wonder this at this sort of stage of the season where a team aren't really vying for Europe anymore. They're not going to get relegated. You know, I don't want to use the expression on the beach already, but is there perhaps an element of the season's kind of done? Um, and they might have took the foot off the gas slightly. That might be optimistic from a Liverpool fan's perspective, but um, yeah, we'll see anyway. Um, Chloe, when we played them at Anfield earlier this season, um, we obviously raced into a, to an early two-goal lead, and I think everyone thought, okay, this is sound. Nice, easy afternoon in the Anfield sun, I think it was that day. Um, but it didn't turn out like that, obviously. Um, what can we learn from what Brighton did that day, and how can we counteract that on Saturday? Well, I, I mean, first of all, um, I love Brighton. I like I, like. I really like the football club. Um, it's a you know the the clubs that um you don't mind. You actually don't root for necessarily, but um if they're doing well, you're like oh yeah, fair enough. That's boss that. Um, Brighton's one of those clubs for me. I don't I, I you know 
Um, even though they wear blue and white, I don't actually mind the football kits that they wear. I like the philosophy. Um, I really like Graham Potter, as we've all said. And they've got some really good players. Uh, Lamptey, which I, you know, unbelievable. Um, a player which I, I wish we, we could get, but <laughs> we've already got the best right back in the world. So uh, he'd have to change position somewhere. Um, you've got Trossard, who's silky, and he also they're very well structured at times. Um, in that second half, I remember them being all over us. Their transitioning was unbelievable. Um, I think Trossard had us off. We were all over the place at times. They were just dominating us in the midfield, and then the transitions were that quick. We couldn't keep up with them. Um, and I remember that's when Kanata got a bit of stick, and everyone was thinking, could he actually you know, is he this unbelievable player that we're all expecting? Because for 45 minutes, we looked really in control. Um, I think, you know, they'd had some uh, chances, but they'd missed them. Uh, there was a little bit of warning signs there, but you were 2-0 up, you were kind of cruising. You didn't think much of it. And in the second half, there was a reaction. In the second half, you didn't get a minute's space. It, it, they were literally um, suffocating us. Uh, and and that's what they're very good at. They've got a lot of energy. They work a lot. Um, off the ball, constantly moving. Um, and the things that we can maybe learn from is, uh, don't rush things against them. If if there's not an opening, just keep recycling that ball. It is very hard for the team to keep up with Liverpool for ninety minutes. Um, and I've mentioned them being really, you know, pressing and them constantly. Um, getting at us in that game at home but can they do it for 90 minutes I'm not too sure if because for the first half they weren't brilliant the second half was when they reacted um, so if we can take the sting out of it because you know assuming that there'll be a full crowd there because it is Liverpool at home um, take the sting out of it just keep hold of the ball um, and move them about. If you move them about, gaps will eventually come up, and that's when you choose the, the right decisions and the right, well, the ball moving forward. Um, so I think what we can learn is to just stay calm, just keep possession, don't do not do silly things because we kept overturning possession. Um, and they should have won that game at home, uh, well, away from home, but at home for us. They should have came out with all three points, um, and they didn't. They, they came out with the points. Um, but they could feel very unfortunate because in that second half we got ram ragged um, and hopefully that doesn't happen hopefully you know we've got a lot more experience now this was at the beginning of the season we're now very much in it um, and also I feel like now uh, we've proven that in games where we don't play brilliant we're getting the results um, so and, and like I say that is a sign of champions to not be at your best or be anywhere near your best but grind through a game and get what you need out of it. Um, it's a sign of champions. So um, I reckon it'll be a really high uh, energy game. I think it'll be quite a, a good game. Um, but I'm hoping Liverpool take this thing out of it. Liverpool pass it about, tie the opposition um, and then get a couple of goals and come in with the three points. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, I think you're right about what you say about the Brighton midfield. I think they, they dominated that game. I think Basuma um, and Wepu in particular. Um, he was the, the first sub, if I remember. I remember them taking Basuma off and yes. everyone had a sigh of relief. Yeah. He'd everyone just come back, like, oh hadn't he? He'd been out, He'd been yeah. out for a while. Yeah. Everyone but was like, 
why has he done that? Um, but they they still seem to get better even after he went off. But he was he was unbelievable in that game, yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, and like I say, him and Mwepu ran the show when obviously he scores that worldly goal as well, which I'm still not entirely sure wasn't a cross. But yeah, I think in fairness to, to us on that day, um, the Naby Cater injury kind of derailed us because we started really well. And I think we ended up in midfield of Henderson, Jones and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, which is interesting and something we probably won't see on Saturday. Um, and on that point... Dave, I'll come back to you. I'll, I'll start with you on your preferred lineup for this one. Um, and I'd like you to particularly touch on Mo Salah because there's sort of calls for him to potentially have a rest. Can we afford to rest him and should we rest him? Yeah, so I suppose I'll, I'll come to that as I get to kind of the attack. Yeah. Um, so obviously, Alisson in goal, uh, same back four as yesterday too, Trent Matic, Van Dyke, Robertson. I've uh, looked it up this morning. I still can't say anything about why uh, Kanate was out the team. I don't know if either of you two know anything about that, whether it was just a rest, but um, I don't know if Clapp addressed it in his press conference or anything like that. Um, yeah, so back four would be the same on that basis. Uh, Simicas, I think, will get his next game against Forrest in the Cup, mm-hmm. um, would be my expectation um, on that one. Uh, and then midfield, I think the summary of um, the kind of reverse fixture was perfect, really. Um, the only thing I'd, I'd add is that Fabinho and Thiago uh, were missing for that game, um, I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think that will hopefully be something if they're able to play. Um, and that's a question mark because you'd want Thiago in midweek against Arsenal as well. Um, obviously, if they're able to play, um, Thiago especially, it could be something that gives us more control because like Chloe said that was control that we surrendered in the second half mm-hmm. um, in the reverse fixture and yeah so on the attack I think you buy a player like Diaz it gives you the luxury of being able to rest um, you know other players and especially Mo Salah really um, and I think Klopp has to look at it and think he can afford to do it and ahead of the running, if given Salah a rest, a tactical rest at this point, could be something that kind of rejuvenates him. And like I've said before, it isn't a serious drop-off, it is just slight. Um, then that could be actually a really good piece of management, I'd say. Um, so, you know, he has played an awful lot of football, so maybe he, he stays on the bench here and comes on if he's needed. And that would be my sort of attitude. The problem with this is that we still don't have in our squad a natural kind of right-wing replacement. Um, Minamino, I think, is the only kind of attacking option who's played there. I'd be kind of hesitant maybe to play him, um, start him in, in Premier League games we now at the end of the season, to be honest, because, uh, you know, we have the sort of five quality attacking options and he's kind of a rung below with, with Origi. Um, and mm. we need, obviously, to, to win all these games, essentially. Um, so... On that basis, I think my change would be moving Mane over to the right, um, a position he has obviously played in the past. Um, not ideal, but I think it could be worthwhile. Um, I like, like I say, uh, for those reasons with Salah. For me, not coming back in, I agree with you, Dan, or what you touched on, certainly, and that Jota um, wasn't great. Last night gave the ball away quite a bit. 
maybe doesn't look completely 100% fit. So, again, could be someone who benefits um, from a rest. And then I'd have Diaz, obviously, playing on the left-hand side. So, yeah, that would be my team with uh, with Salah rested. But um, it wouldn't be a surprise for me whatsoever um, to see him play because we know that he will be pushing very, very hard to, to stay on the side. Okay, yeah. Um, a rest for Salah uh, is the main talking point there from that, obviously. Um, Chloe, I'll let you come in. Um, any changes from that? And obviously the big point is to pick up on the Salah one. Um, the, the only the the one place I'm stuck at is Jordan Anderson or Navigator. I think um, I feel like because Jordan Anderson didn't start yesterday, uh, he he might start. Um, and I think we missed his tempo to be honest. Um, against Inter Milan. As for the Salah one, is Nottingham Forest too far away for a break? That'd be my question. Um, because if he's sound to go for another two games or whatever then I would not be dropping him um, because I'd see him being dropped for the Nottingham Forest game. So then you've got the point of if he can make it through these games, then then keep it how it is. Um, if not, then obviously Manny to the right, Diaz on the left and Jota up top. Um, but yeah, if I whatever happens, I want Diaz to come back into this side. Um, that would be the, the main point for me. So it's a case of I don't think Jota's looked fit. Does he still need a break? Because if so, um, I'm fine with the front three, Salah, Mane, and Diaz. Um, and if Jota is fit and he's starting, then I'd I'd prefer Diaz over Mane at this point. Um, give Mane another little break as well, make him feel like he's got to put more into a game. Because once again, Diaz came off the bench the other day, and I felt like he'd done more in the game, uh, attacking and and taking people on. Um, than Mane had in the majority of it. So um, Diaz has to start for me and I'd start Salah and give him a break at Nottingham Forest and hope that he can he can last. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and on the Diaz point, I think you were obviously unlucky not to score last night. It's, a, it's an incredible block from Vidal. Um, so you're probably right. He probably does almost have more of an impact on the game immediately. Um, for me... Um, Salah starts I agree with you Chloe I think <clears throat> we ask him to go again for what is three away games on the run I was wrong earlier I forgot the Arsenal game in midweek which was silly because I'm actually there again um, but yeah I think we asked Salah to go again I agree both yeah, I don't think we touched the back four Canate missed training didn't he as a precaution we were told earlier on this week and then he wasn't involved in the squad at all last night which is interesting perhaps simply Rested him, completely taken him out of the firing line. Um, that wouldn't read too much into it aside from that right now. Um, and midfield-wise, I would probably be Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson for this one, I think. That's not a slight on Naby Keita. I think he's been really impressive recently. Um, obviously, Thiago gets an hour last night. Henderson gets the last half an hour. I think they both should be fresh enough. Fabinho's a no-brainer. Um, for the foreseeable, probably like Salah, rest for the Forest game. Um, and yeah, I think Jota needs to be taken out of the side. I don't think he's been fit. I think he might have rushed back from that ankle problem. Something's not been right of him for a couple of games now. Um, so yeah, Salah, Jota, and like you, Chloe, probably Diaz on the left. Um, but it's nice headaches to have, isn't it? These these problems we've got, these selection problems there. Because we haven't seen Harvey Elliott now for a couple of weeks, and we all know how good he is. 
So, yeah, it's all good. Um, Chloe, I'll come back to you straight away for a score prediction, please. I'm going to go 2-0 Liverpool. Okay, Dave? Um, Just to say on Salah quickly, first of all, uh, Chloe's points about the Forest game is obviously a good one, but I think I just look at it, that Arsenal game is the second most difficult fixture we've got left between now and Mm -hmm. the end of the season. So I just want Salah to be really 100% fit and fine for that, if possible. So, um, yeah, I guess that would be how I'd kind of respond to that. Mm. Uh, Prediction-wise, I really think this is going to be difficult. I know what I said about Brighton's form earlier, and you then optimistically saying they'd be on the beach. It never really seems to pan (laughs) out that way, um, unfortunately. I think there's just something about playing Liverpool, the stature of club that we are, um, that kind of unlocks like another level, really, and more motivation. So I think this is really a game where we have to be careful because we could uh, drop points here and to drop points so soon after City won one of their hardest remaining games against United would feel like a, a real um, sucker punch, I suppose. Uh, I won't end on a pessimistic I will back Liverpool to win the game um, but I'm going to go for a, uh, a one goal win like I did last week and say that we'll we'll take it 2-1 I think it would feel like the West Ham game it would feel very big as well because even though they are 13th we know um, how good they can be in terms of the football that they play and how they compete against uh, the very best teams Yeah well we obviously we've come on stuck against them um on more than one occasion over the past 18 months. So definitely a challenge ahead. Um, any win will do. I like Chloe. I'm going to go for 2-0. Um, I think, I'm hoping, we've got our sort of iffy performances out of the way now over the past fortnight. And last night's defeat, in inverted commas, can act as somewhat of a wake-up call. Um, but yeah, that would be just about all we got time for. But I am going to give both my co-hosts a uh, chance to have any final thoughts um, and if you could centre it on what is to come for Liverpool season, we're going for a quadruple, you know, we're qualifying left, right and centre for all sorts of things so Chloe, what's your thoughts on where we're at? Um, it's a massive two, three months coming up and if you're not excited now then you might as well just get, get out of football because uh, this is the business end and the lads need us now more than ever. We need to make sure we're backing them, we're behind them. We've got the best football team I've ever seen. I didn't think it could get any better than the team that won the Champions League and the league, but this team is better. Um, and if, you, if you're if you not excited and don't believe we've got a chance, um, and if you're not even having a hope, even if it is unrealistic for the, for the quadruple then. Uh, yeah, there's just no point in being a being a football fan because these are the moments you live for. Um, we're chasing City. We've got a chance. We play them. Every game is absolutely crucial. Uh, we're in the last stage of the Champions League, um, and obviously we go to Nottingham Forest in in the FA Cup. So um, everything's still alive, and it's a brilliant time to be a Red. So get up for it. Get behind the lads, and and let's hope for a massive, massive end of the season. Yeah, definitely. And I'm actually one game away from Wembley again with that Forest game, which is mad. Um, Dave, can you top that? I don't think so. Um, I'm, I, I'd have to go full Braveheart, probably, um, <laughs> to, to do so. But uh, the only thing I would say is, let's just stay, let's just please stay how, you know, at, at the very least, how close we are now before that game at the Etihad. Um, yes. Just so we know that if we if we win, then it would basically be um in our hands um from there on and that is going to be i think if we are still three points behind going into that game 
the nerves are going to be off the scale. It's going to feel like one of the biggest matches of the whole Klopp era, really. So that one's coming up on the horizon. And yeah, the other thing I'd say um, is, uh, obviously, please do give us a five-star rating if you enjoy listening um, and, a, and a positive review as well would be much appreciated. Yes, 100%. Um, that'll be just about all we've got time for this week. We will be back next week. Hopefully, after the Reds have done the business um, and Man City play Crystal Palace away on Monday night. It's interesting. But yeah, that'll be all we've got time for. Um, take care, enjoy it, um, and we'll see you again.